You're listening to City Beat, a partnership between River West Radio and online daily UrbanMilwaukee.com. I'm your host, Jeremy Janine, president and co-founder of Urban Milwaukee, and today we'll be, we will spend the next half hour looking over recent news affecting the city. We'll start the show looking at the Komatsu mining deal to bring 946 jobs into the city. We'll also touch briefly on a visit by the governor-elect Tony Evers to Milwaukee City Hall earlier Tuesday morning. Then, if uh, stars align, and it looks like they will, uh, we'll be joined by State Senator Chris Larson, who's currently on the Senate floor uh, debating a series of uh, legislation aimed to uh, overhaul the way the governor's office works. Uh, and then if time allows, we'll look at some other real estate news, including a progress update on a downtown office tower and the Couture, the building everyone has been talking about for the past six years that is still not even a hole in the ground. It's still just a paper proposal, but it looks like it's going to move forward. And we'll conclude the show where we always do, looking at a pedestrian observation and how we can build a better city. Thanks for listening. A proposal to create the largest urban manufacturing facility in the country had its first public hearing Monday afternoon. The proposal by Komatsu Mining, who's gone through a variety of names in recent years. Uh, before Komatsu bought the company in 2017, it was known as Joy Global. Uh, before Joy Global, it was known as P&H. Uh, you might also know the company as Harnischweger. They've been located in West Milwaukee, a suburb near Miller Park, for nearly a century now, making some of the largest mining equipment in the world. Um, it's used across the world, predominantly in Asian countries now. A lot of the business also takes place in Canada with tar sands. Uh, but it's been made right here uh, in Milwaukee. And if you've been uh, driving on the interstate system late at night, you've probably encountered some of their shovels being shipped to the port or being shipped out of town. They're very, very large. Uh, and the company was looking for a new facility once Komatsu acquired it. Komatsu has almost 60,000 employees across the world. Uh, and they're in a variety of businesses, but they bought Joy Global to add to their mining business. And Joy Global really brings a lot of expertise in that field, and they realized they needed a modern plant to really move forward. And as Rocky Marcusa, the Department of City Development Commissioner for Milwaukee, uh, this deal took 18 months to put together. And I quote, it's arguably the most complex project I've ever worked on in all my years in city government. Well, what is it? It's a $285 million proposal uh, to build what's known as South Harbor Campus on the Solvay Coke site, which is a lot of mumbo-jumbo unless you're familiar with brownfields in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. Uh, we are talking about a site on the eastern end of East Greenfield Avenue along the harbor. Uh, the actual address will be 401 East Greenfield Avenue, and the company will bring 946 jobs into the city, but that isn't going to come free from Milwaukee, as unfortunately all corporate uh, jobs are go or all corporate relocations are going these days. There is a considerable subsidy involved uh, and we'll touch on this more in coming episodes because as Milwaukee is gaining these jobs from a suburb, uh, they are losing jobs uh, headed to Menominee Falls from another deal. And we'll look at that more next week. But this week, I want to look at Komatsu's deal. So this $285 million development would include a 410,000 square foot manufacturing facility. It would include a 170,000 square foot office building and then a 20,000 square foot uh, facility that Komatsu is calling a museum and training center. I don't know the breakdown in there or if you're getting trained among company artifacts, uh, but that's what they're billing it as. Uh, the city is heavily involved in the deal from a variety of standpoints. 
Uh, it does actually meet zoning, so that's a unique thing for a project this large. There will be no design approval process, but there will be a substantial debate around the funding for the project. And the funding from the city's side is to provide a $25 million subsidy over nearly the same number of years that if Komatsu maintains 946 jobs, uh, which is what they have in West Milwaukee now, if they maintain those jobs at this new site, um, they would get $18 million. And if they go up to 1,300 jobs, they would get a prorated amount of uh, up to $25 million, so they could earn an extra $7 million from the city. This, and the city will pay that back uh, in what's called a developer finance tax incremental financing district, uh, which essentially is using the property taxes Komatsu pays to pay themselves back. The site is empty today. It's worth about $3 million. After Komatsu invests $285 million, and it's going to be worth a heck of a lot more. Uh, but to make the deal possible, the state is also involved. The state will provide 90 or $59.5 million uh, in income tax credits through the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation. Uh, and when I hit on this other deal earlier, the state's also involved in the deal to move a company from the Century City site, the 30th Street Corridor, DRS Solutions, out to Menominee Falls. They're providing a subsidy there. So it's going to be something to watch is how the state is paying, essentially, to move companies within the state. Now, Komatsu says that they considered, a, you know, they had a worldwide search for where to move, but Milwaukee had to have an advantage in that, and a lot of that is the workforce. But the other thing is the opportunity for this site to be a truly green um, development, environmentally friendly. And when I get to the exact figures here, they're kind of uh, amazing, I guess. For This facility is going to reduce Komatsu's energy use by 75% over their current usage, and it's going to reduce... Uh, their water use by 80%. And they're going to do that through a variety of ways. They have wind uh, turbines on the building. They are going to have solar panels on the building. They're going to have a closed-loop heat treatment system uh, to keep a lot of water within the building and have a heating capacity within the facility itself. And then a variety of other solutions, LED lighting, although I'd assume that's probably standard at anything new coming online now. So that's, that's moving forward. Uh, the proposal is before the City Plan Commission this week. The City Plan Commission... Uh, spent about an hour debating it, but unanimously approved it. And the reason they spent an hour debating it is there's so much involved in it. One thing we'll touch on next week, probably. Uh, and if not, you can go to urbanwalkie.com and learn more. But the city actually, as part of this complex uh, transaction, would end up buying a site nearby, uh, just across Greenfield Avenue from Komatsu's development for a potential commuter rail station with the Kenosha Racine, Milwaukee uh, proposed commuter rail line. Uh, there's a potential to integrate this site into and Greenfield Avenue into the Kinnikinick River Trail, which is the bike trail that connects through Walker's Point. Uh, there's going to be roadways that are lowered underneath bridges to allow trucks to come in. There's a lot going on. There will be a large extension of the Riverwalk that the city will fund with $15 million in tax incremental financing funds in addition to the $25 million allocation. Uh, so that's going to be a substantial expansion of the Riverwalk. And then We Energies also will be uh, maintaining ownership of part of the site because uh, they still have environmental cleanup to do, not only on the site itself, well, that's undergoing today, underway today, but they also have to clean up the Kinnikinnick River. So there's a lot going on in this deal. We'll be covering a lot more. Uh, but if you're looking for, you know, what is he talking about? What is this? Uh, go to urbanwalkie.com and read Eyes on Milwaukee, America's Largest Urban Manufacturing Proposal. Now let's move on to talk about a story. Uh, that happened Tuesday morning, and that is something that hasn't happened in the last eight years. The governor came to Milwaukee City Hall, and I don't mean Governor Scott Walker, uh, who has never met with the Milwaukee Common Council in his capacity as governor, but I mean Governor-elect Tony Evers. Uh, he had a meeting this morning with Mayor Tom Barrett, 
and then gave a brief public speech to the Milwaukee Common Council. Um, in a speech, he noted uh, something that's probably music to all the members of the Common Councils here, but also something that should make all Wisconsinites happy. In order for us to have a strong Wisconsin, we have to have a strong city of Milwaukee. Uh, Evers hit on the number of priorities uh, that he used as campaign issues, that being education, health care, transportation, and correctional reform, uh, referencing Governor Scott Walker's refusal to accept expanded Medicaid funding. Evers said, we have left $1.1 billion on the table in Washington, D.C. That could be going to serve our people in Wisconsin. That's something he's going to be looking at going forward. Um, he also said he believes common ground can be found uh, with Republicans on correctional reform and transportation funding. And I quote, whether it's roads or mass transit, we certainly need a different revenue stream. And that, to me, is going to be really interesting. He might be a bit too optimistic there. I think it's obvious when you look at the state budget that more and more money is going to transportation, especially to debt uh, for road building projects, and it's going to our prison system. I don't know that there is a political appetite to necessarily address that, at least the same political appetite on the Democrats and Republicans' parts. Uh, but the governor-elect said other states have found solutions, and Wisconsin needs to look closely at implementing them. Uh, and what we're going to touch on with Senator Chris Larson here in just a moment, uh, what he calls in, is the lame duck legislation that's going to uh, probably really curtail Evers' ability to do things like accept that Medicaid funding. Um, he noted, our, and I quote again from Evers, our transition team is working hard against a sort of headwind in the legislature right now. To call it a headwind is probably a bit of an understatement. The Assembly and Senate are both taking up legislation that would severely restrict uh, Evers' ability to govern. Uh, but Common Council President Ashanti Hamilton was happy today with what he heard um, in an uh, interview with Urban Milwaukee afterwards. He said, the biggest thing is being able to have some shared priorities that we're able to work with on. Um, he, uh, Hamilton, who's potentially running for mayor, told uh, Urban Milwaukee that one of the key things for him is they're looking at providing quality early childhood education to every child in Milwaukee. Um, Evers, who has worked in education his entire life, he's currently, uh, in addition to being the governor-elect, he is the head of the Department of Public Instruction at the state level. Um, he led off his speech by stating that he would continue to support education funding. I believe you will find me a good partner, Evers said, before detailing how he thought districts that are encountering high levels of poverty um, should receive adequate funding to address those issues. Hamilton, uh, on his part, also stressed the need for cooperation around economic development and workforce development initiatives. Uh, when I pushed back to ask him what he meant by that, he said one key item, and now I quote, being able to provide transportation to where employment opportunities already exist. There has been specific talk on both the employer and employee side on the gap in transportation. Uh, Hamilton didn't elaborate more than that. It's unclear if he's talking about a regional transit authority. It's unclear where Evers' interest in that lie uh, the Milwaukee County Transit System uh, today provides service just a little bit outside of Milwaukee County, and a lot of that's with supplemental funding from a settlement with the uh, zoo interchange uh, construction that's about to uh, unfortunately run out. So the county's now having to shoulder that burden. And I think there's a, a real need uh, for multiple parties to come to the table, multiple counties, because uh, we know that there's lots of people in Milwaukee. We know that there's lots of jobs uh, outside of Milwaukee. And so there's a lot to digest there. Um, but one thing that uh, especially probably made politicians or city politicians happy to hear was that Evers said part of his job as governor will be returning local control to city officials. Uh, he noted that in the last eight years, 160 bills have been passed that limited local control. And so for more on that, go to urbanmilwaukee.com 
The story is City Hall, Evers meets with Mayor, Common Council. And now we're joined by Senator Chris Larson, who recently won uh, re-election for the second time. You've been in office since 2010. Senator Larson, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jeremy. Very happy to uh, take a break from the Senate floor debate here in, uh, at the Capitol and enjoying you on Riverwatch Radio. So tell us what's happening. What is the Republican-led legislator up to, and what can Democrats do to stop it? Uh, well, big picture right now, there is a, uh, a rush to try and push through um, some bills that basically debilitate the office of attorney general as well as the way that the governor would be able to function long term. Um, specifically, one of the more egregious ones is that the leaders in the, the, the Speaker of the Assembly and the Majority Leader in the Senate, um, as well as the um, uh, Joint Committee of um, uh, legislative organization would have the ability to intervene anytime there's a federal lawsuit that the attorney general wants to pursue and you either say yes we're going to do that or actually replace the attorney general in the suit basically just taking over the job which is just stunning to think about what the real implications for that are are that it would take away um, the ability for Josh call to move out of the anti-obamacare lawsuit um, as he's pledged to do and as people of Wisconsin voted to do. Uh, so there's that. There's the uh, moving of the WEDIC board so that it is not appointed by the uh, the governor. The governor would not have control over it anymore. It would be something that is decided by uh, the legislature would have a majority of the votes on there. So this WEDIC, your listeners will probably remember, is a scandal-plagued uh, deformation of the Commerce Department. So this is the... Uh, Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, basically the clearinghouse for uh, corporate giveaways. They were the ones that wrote the contract for Foxconn um, and have lost track of many different jobs and many different, a lot of money. Um, so it insulates them. It's just a small example of what they're, what is up before us today um, in the Senate and the Assembly, I think, is going in, in the next, within the next hour to take up the same set of bills. And so, and so one of the things that I'm also watching, dropping early voting from six weeks to two weeks, is that still included? So there is, uh, there is that is still possible that they're going to do that. There was a move to change the entirety of the election, um, to have the spring presidential preference move earlier in uh, spring of 20, uh, 2020. And that, that has been dropped for now. There's rumors that it may come up directly from the floor. Um, but yes, uh, subsequently limiting early voting to two weeks beforehand and would is, is something that they're doing. There's a chance that that immediately uh, is struck down by the courts because of a previous court decision allowing early voting. Um, if, if, if it flies, it would be devastating. Um, 25% of the state voted early in the last election cycle. People from, you know, red counties like Waukesha to Milwaukee, people exercise their right to vote early. Frankly, there are elected officials who utilize this practice more than others because you have to be at the Capitol or other places. So it is extremely disingenuous to try and limit uh, limit voting. And it, it's pretty blatant, Jeremy, because the reason they, they look at this is they look at the fact that the election was decided uh, with absentee ballots on election night that were uh, counted a little bit late. And they look at that and say, ah, that's the all these people voting, that's a problem. You know, um, Early voting allowed Wisconsin to uh, be the second highest percentage of voters 
uh, voting in the entire country, the second highest state, right, and the highest turnout in a non-presidential year ever. Um, that most people would think is a good thing. Um, but unfortunately, uh, Walker and the Republicans see that as a, as a threat to uh, the future of their party and their ideology. And one thing that really uh, led me to invite you on today was you had a very topical uh, comparison on Facebook about what's going on right now. You had, and to set the stage for this, we know Governor Scott Walker lost his bid for re-election. He will be gone in January, uh, and yep. then there will be a new governor, uh, but we'll largely still have the same legislature. Uh, you had a comparison to the Packers firing Mike McCarthy. Walk me through that. <laughs> How they fired Mike McCarthy? Well, we've had a horrible season, Jeremy. Let me walk you through some decisions that have been made. I, I, I realize I have a question. Um, we, um, I think that there's a lot of people who uh, who pay attention to politics because it is it is pushed in front of them when there's elections happening. But the nitty gritty, how the state operates, how what happens after elections. There's a lot of stuff that we do that just doesn't make sense in the modern world. Which is why the heck do we wait two months to seat people after they're elected to office? It's, it is a wild concept if you think about it, right? If, if somebody's working at Arby's and doing a horrible job and they're fired, they're not going to say, all right, you're fired. Now here's the keys to the restaurant for the next two months, right? Uh, it, it's ludicrous, right? And the idea that, okay, Mike McCarthy is going to be out at the Packers, he's out immediately. It's not that uh, he gets to stick around and make calls or, or any calls uh, are limited to what he decides for the next uh, uh, four years and that he still gets to make decisions for the next two months. I think people, when they think about that, they realize, yeah, this is, this is ridiculous. Why do we have lame duck sessions to begin with? It is just a, 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 it's a, it's a bad thing. It's not something that is helpful to the state. Everything that's being pushed right now is stuff that would not be here if uh, Walker had won re-election. Um, and I think the public is, is getting to the point where this is one of those things that was uh, a courtesy. It wasn't abused too often, um, but now it's something that, okay, now it's ruined. We should never have lame duck sessions. We should move up the inauguration date a heck of a lot earlier so that when an election is over and certified, new people are put into place right away so that they can the, the will of the people is reflected a lot faster than it is now. And so one of the things that's making this possible is it's clearly gerrymandering. We had in the assembly, everyone who ran for re-election uh, was re-elected. And in the Senate, uh, you know, there was a bunch of competitive races, but still there was a lot of re-elections. I mean, you uh, personally, I guess, have benefited from gerrymandering because you've been able to coast a re-election, but I don't think you would argue for gerrymandering. Uh, what is the solution? How does the election in 2020 factor into ending gerrymandering? Can we only hope that the Supreme Court puts in a more sensible system? Or, or what's the likely outcomes here? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is one of those words that most people didn't know the definition of a few years ago. It become, it's become ubiquitous because of the harm that it does to our state, specifically in democracy in general, right? It packs people into safe districts, and it, it spreads out other voters so that their impact is uh, is less. Um, and so it is it is allowed for, and it, I think you did a good job outlining it, Jeremy, but just to give people an idea of what the numbers mean, at the top of the ticket, you know, Tammy Baldwin won. 
uh, Tony Evers won. And in legislative races, they chose the Democrat in 54% of the votes statewide. But if you look at the Assembly, the Assembly only uh, is made up of uh, 35% Democrats. Like, that doesn't, it, it, you know, 54% equals gets you 35% of the votes doesn't make sense. That's what gerrymandering looks like in real-world terms, and it reflects in the policies of, of where we are. The, the special lame duck session that we're in is a further reflection of that, of them limiting the ability of people to hold uh, the Republicans accountable. Um, how it changes? Well, there is going to be another hearing at the U.S. Supreme Court level. Uh, Kennedy famously kicked it down, I think, within a day before he announced his retirement um, and said that they needed more plaintiffs to have standing. So that will be coming up in the spring session of 2019. Uh, beyond that, uh, so that's, that's hopeful. But beyond that, after the next census, we will need to redraw lines in the state of Wisconsin as they have to do in every single state. After that, you know, if the governor is still has a say in it and he will, we'll have fairer maps because the courts, in this case, because this is mandated by the U.S. Constitution, it would be a federal court, uh, would be one intervening to decide, of, uh, what we do. So, uh, we'll good intervene and make sure that the maps are uh, are, are, are fair. So it will remedy itself. Unfortunately, it, it, it probably won't happen until 2022 um, when districts will be fair unless the U.S. Supreme Court intervenes. And even then, unless they call special elections, it wouldn't be till 2020. All right. And I want to let you leave on a high note. What can Wisconsinites be optimistic about in the next four years? Uh, the, it's uh, not a good well, sign that you paused. <laughs> No, I'm, they're literally doing a roll call, so I have to jump off in a second. But yeah, I think, uh, so I gotta jump in there and vote. I think one of the things to look forward to is we have an advocate in the governor's office, uh, for making healthcare a right and not just a privilege, and somebody who is intent on making sure that we are expanding education opportunities for our children. That, to me, is something that's really exciting because it, it changes the future of our state if more kids have access to uh, kindergarten and when they're four years old because it's fully funded or we're experimenting by having more funding for K3 um, and, and offering funding for schools that have been uh, forced onto an anemic diet for the last eight years. That to me is, it, it spells a redirection for the state long term. It's very exciting. All right. Well, Chris Larson, Senator Chris Larson, thank you for joining us. Now go vote. Yeah, you bet. Anytime. Thanks, Jerry. Thank that was Senator Chris Larson, a uh, Democratic senator from Milwaukee, who is on the Senate floor currently, if you turn on Wisconsin Eye, probably voting at this moment in time, rushing to make sure his vote counts on the close votes on what's going on with the lame duck session to limit the power of uh, Governor-elect Tony Evers and Attorney General-elect Josh Cool. Uh, the Senate is controlled, the 33-member uh, state Senate is controlled by a slight Republican majority. Uh, there's 18 Republicans to 15 Democrats. Uh, so it, uh, there'll be a lot of close votes, I'm going to guess, by the end of the day on this, uh, where the ability of one Democrat to switch sides or Republican to switch sides uh, will probably make the difference in a lot of cases because uh, there's been a lot of... Uh, back and forth and delay on moving this forward today. They were supposed to start voting at 11 a.m. That didn't happen. That's usually a sign that things are uh, not as buttoned up as one could think. Uh, but let's turn back to a local uh, issue. Let's look at the Couture 
uh, it is the proposal for a 44-story apartment tower located on the lakefront uh, right at the end of East Michigan Street uh, against Lincoln Memorial Drive. The site was the longtime site of the downtown transit center. Uh, and then in 2012, a proposal uh, from Milwaukee County to sell the site and redevelop it. Uh, the county selected uh, Rick Barrett and his partner Tan Lowe of Barrett Lowe Visionary Development. They had a scheme. It said it involved no subsidy. And, hey, we're going to build this new tower here. Uh, well, six years later, that tower is still not there. Uh, but it looks like we're getting closer. And unfortunately for taxpayers, there is a little bit of a subsidy now. Uh, the good news for taxpayers, though, is that there are more public amenities in the building because of that. The first three floors are a public concourse that will include a kind of marquee stop on the streetcar system known as the HOP. And then it's the eastern end of the county's bus rapid transit system. Uh, that bus rapid transit system is proposed, but was just last week given um, the approval from the federal government to move forward and enter into a financing financing agreement. That system would connect the Couture and downtown with the uh, West Side's Milwaukee County Regional Medical Center, and it would also connect a number of neighborhoods where there's a high percentage of people that rely on transit with uh, downtown and the West Side. So it would be a, a boon to transit in the area. Uh, it would uh, merge the system, not merge it, but connect it with the streetcar. So those public amenities are coming. There's also uh, a couple of restaurants planned for it, but that's all at the base of the building. Uh, and then going up, there is a number of floors, um, 41 floors of apartments, uh, approximately 300 apartments that if you visit Rick Barrett's office, there is um, a map of or a layout of the building with dots on it where people have reserved units already. Uh, predictably, they're almost all at the top where they're uh, some of the fanciest units. Um, the lower units range from uh, effectively studios or one bedrooms up to three bedroom units at the top. Um, but the big news was on November 2nd, as the streetcar system opened, uh, Rick Barrett's uh, proposal got an okay. Uh, from the federal government to move forward with a loan guarantee. So uh, the proposal would rely on a loan from the uh, uh, union. Uh, union contractors will build the building. The union's pension fund will back or uh, will provide that loan, and then it will be guaranteed um, by the federal government should the building default. Um, Rick Barrett and others are certainly probably hopeful he doesn't default, and he's been through this before. Uh, the Modern over by the Pfizer Forum and Bradley Center was built with the same complex financing arrangement. Uh, it took a long time to build that tower as well, but not nearly as long. And so Barrett this week found himself before the county board um, who wanted an update on what things are going on. Uh, they all kind of got together and sang Kumbaya after an ugly meeting a couple months ago. Um, and in a show of just how crazy things can get at the county board, this single real estate project uh, should come back before the county board every quarter. And that the reason that is... Um, is because it's county-owned land, so that's how they're making the request. They're s claiming that they can take the land back. They can essentially void the sale and repossess the land uh, should they choose if Barrett doesn't move forward on the project. Uh, but he's saying he is moving forward. Uh, county supervisors John Weishan Jr. and Marcella Nicholas Nicholson are singing Kumbaya now that it's moving forward. Uh, they were especially critical before. Uh, so stay tuned to this. We'll see what happens as both the Couture moves forward and the county board might be attempting to micromanage the project. Uh, and then I want to end today talking about kind of an urban planning concept that I, I feel like Milwaukee could be wise to use and actually could be used right outside, right outside of the Couture where they're looking to build uh, the Lakefront Gateway Plaza Park that would be connected to the Couture by uh, pedestrian bridges. So the park would be kind of at the north end of the Summerfest grounds between 
um, Discovery World and uh, the Summerfest grounds and then across Lincoln Memorial from the Couture. Uh, designs for that park and many other parks uh, already have the paths all laid out and they're often not the straightest route. Well, what a desire path is, is seeing where people walk uh, by erosion of the ground. If you've ever uh, come to a, like a grass lot on the corner and notice that at a diagonal through that lot is a dirt path, that is a desire path where people are often choosing to walk the shortest route possible instead of following you know, the sidewalks or if you look in like Cathedral Square Park, the pathways through the park are not perfectly diagonal. So you can end up on Kilbourne and want to get to Wells and there's no straight path there, although there's this big empty open lot in, in the form of the park. Uh, so people have kind of throughout the summer often track those down through Jazz in the Park. You can see these in a number of places throughout the city. And it's an example of where architects and planners can kind of learn from what the public is doing. Um, and we are now wrapping up. So that is Desire Paths for the week. Uh, we have about 10 seconds left in the show, and I just want to thank everyone for listening. If you want to learn more, urbanmilwaukee.com slash podcast. Uh, the show is now available on iTunes and Pocket Cast, and it will come on another v- number of other platforms. Thank you.